bloody taxes. James, it's January. We're halfway through the financial year. Why are you doing taxes? Look, I may have been a little late getting my tax returns in this year. Even after we spoke about it at the beginning of episode seven? Yes, and I'm very ashamed. Blah, blah, blah. Can you just help me? Of course, man. What are you having trouble with? Look, I can't work out what tax bracket I'm in. I've added up all of my salary, interest on all my bank accounts, everything. But I can't figure out if I'm making above or below... I'm writing it down on this piece of paper. I know it's pretty big, but I don't want everyone to- It's all right, James. I know I'm the budget boy, but I can control myself. Even if it is a really big number. Oh my God, James, you're rich. Hey, Marco, Stensley, Lavernicus, let's shank him and take his wallet. If I, it, they just come to me, James. I'm Who sorry. is that? I don't even know. I don't even know what that sounds like. It sounds like something. I, I, I'm now, I'm now imagining a pl- like a commander playgroup with Stalinsky and Marco, <laughs> Marco Stensley, Leverticus, and, and you. Yeah, That's I'm the terrified now. I just they're gonna like see my foil chrome mocks and just stab mine. <laughs> Beautiful link to the uh, the playgroup episode. And somewhere in the world, just, oh, there is a playgroup with Leverticus in it. There definitely is, and. We still have a score to settle from last episode. If you don't, if you oh forgot that. Oh my goodness! We we'll settle that at the set, end of this episode. End of the episode. All right, All right. done. Sounds good. Sounds right. good. Well, um, before that, we do have an incoming transmission, James. Or should we say who we are first? Oh right. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> we do normally do that, don't we? I think we were just riffing for we too long. We were riffing too long. <laughs> Welcome to the Get Commanded <laughs> podcast by the Greensboro Commander community. It's the GCP by the GCC, helping you to have better games of Commander. I'm your host, Walt. And hello, Commander players. I am your other host, James. Oh, right, now you they know, know, they now know you, who we are. Yeah. We can get to <laughs> do, you, do you want to see what the space yes, is happening? Okay, this there is an incoming transmission <laughs> from the deep depths of the galaxy from the Space Commanders. It's time to get commanded. Stax is a notoriously unpopular archetype in the Commander format, but some cards that resemble Stax pieces continue to see consistent play. Consider your personal stacks threshold and whether it can be made more flexible. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to talk about stacks? I just, I feel like if we, like... Are they going to lock the door? <laughs> Again? <laughs> oh, the yeah. Green light? I'll tell you what, the green light would have been more thematic of a thing to do for this it's episode. True. You know what? I, I think I can see it looks a little red today. I feel Is like there the might be... Blood? Is it blood? Is it blood? <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we get lost in that imagery... Um, <laughs> stacks. We should probably define what it is. I think a lot of us know what it is, but it's not something we see all the time in Commander. So No, it's not. And I think that, as you can tell by my groan, um, <laughs> generally, as the Space Commander said, it's a pretty controversial It is. Thing. It is. I did actually... Um, I've, I found this quote from EDH Rec. Um, they have a really, really good page. It's in the show notes. It'll be linked in there. Um, on stacks as an archetype in Commander, um, specifically. 
Uh, they have two sections here, so I'm just going to read them because they they summarize it really well, I think. Um, they've got the first one here is the description of the archetype, and then they've got a description of, of Stax cards themselves from EDH Rex. So mm-hmm. the first quote here is, and this is straight from the Stax theme page on the EDH Rex website. Stax is a strategy of resource denial that uses permanence with abilities that prevent players from performing actions in the game. For example, preventing them from untapping their permanence. Some Stax cards are symmetrical in that they affect all players instead of all opponents. By designing a deck to avoid using certain game mechanics, the deck is not penalized as much for preventing all players from using those mechanics. That's pretty good. That's I yeah, feel. yeah, good example. Untapping, um, preventing people from untapping, but Stax is a very broad range of effects that it can have on a board. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to read this one of Stax cards, and then we'll jump into um, what we think of these as descriptions. But so this is from that same article. This is a description of Stax cards themselves. Stax cards typically include one or more of the following in the rules text to limit or delay a wide variety of opponent actions may contain the word can't, don't, or instead to subvert an expected game mechanic like Winter Orb or Static Orb, that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. May increase the mana cost of other spells. So we have spells like Aura of Silence or Sphere of Resistance. These increase the cost in some way. Yep. May interfere with untapping or cause permanence to enter tapped. So Tangle Wire and Stasis. I've died to Stasis before. Stasis is is very mean in that way. Um, (laughs) That was that one where you... That was the... I had a Force of Negation upkeep trigger. Yes. And... Pact of Negation. Pact of Negation upkeep trigger. So you have to pay three blue blue or you lose the game. Yeah, but before I could untap, someone would cast a Stasis. (laughs) You you couldn't untap five mana. I I just died. (laughs) That's pretty funny. The last uh, last little example here is may cause or encourage players to sacrifice one or more permanents. The examples here are Smokestack or Tainted Aether. So I think the main thing to draw a line here with stacks mm-hmm. um, that I think separates it from sort of the closest thing that we see in Commander is like a control deck. Like, oh, like Counterspells. My, yeah. My, yeah. Counterspells, so, lots of removal, this kind of thing um, is, is similar in that it makes people a bit upset. But the main <laughs> difference is that this that's sort of mostly interacting on the stack and instant speed, whereas um, the, the key thing they were describing there is often these... Stacks revolves around permanence. And they usually, like, are a worldwide effect. It's not yeah. targeting a specific player. Players can't or... do this. Players yeah. don't do this. Yeah. yeah, that's basically the the main thing. Um, and, yeah, different from removal as well, which yeah. is, again, like an instant speed or, you know, removing one thing. This is saying, no, all players can't do insert game action here. Yeah, okay. So, I thought it'd be interesting, actually. Do you know the origin of stacks as an archetype? Do well, you know? I know that you you mentioned smokestacks before. Yeah, and I know that that's like where the word came from. Well, it's interesting you say that. There's actually two theories as to the origin of wait, the- like like historians have argued over this for yeah, decades. I mean, <laughs> if you can call them historians for you know 25 years ago, but but yeah. basically, yeah. Okay. So look, you're you're partly right. Smokestacks is a card that was played in, in one of the earliest stacks decks that ever existed. It's pretty brutal. It forces you to sack yeah, you, over and over and over yeah, again. Yeah, it, it's definitely an example of a stacks yeah. piece. Definitely that's a reasonable thing to conclude. But there's actually another theory, and I think this one's given slightly more weight when people are, are running through it. So I'd like to tell a little story, James. Oh, uh, wait, hang on. Hot chocolate? Teddy bear? <laughs> get, get comfy. Uh, I'm cozy. It, it won't do be it. long. Just a little rundown. But I'd like to take us back... To 2002. 
So five is playing on the radio. People can afford to buy a house. (laughs) Sorry, that tickled me. (laughs) Uh, In a playground, grade one Walt is running rampant with an unsleeved fallen angel. Wow. This is the we're setting the scene. That is okay. 2005. What? 2002. 2002. Right? Yeah. yeah. Wow. A real it? throwback. A real throwback. So in vintage in 2002, which is actually at the time known as Type One, because back then there were only two formats of Magic. There was Standard and there was Vintage, which is like all of Magic's cards. Yeah. And then and then like what Standard was in cards. Yeah. yeah. So it was called Type One and Type Two. So yeah. Vintage at the time was called Type One. It's now known as Vintage because there's a lot more formats. <laughs> um, there was this particular deck that was called. Grower Tog. It basically played a card called Psychotog, which you read today and you're like, this sounds terrible. Um, I'm pretty sure you discard cards to like buff it. It's a Demir card. It's like one black blue. Yeah. You discard cards to give it plus one plus one till end of turn. Right. Um, and there's another card called Quirion Dryad, which was the other sort of wing card. Oh, that's deck. been reprinted. It has been reprinted it a lot. Like yeah. plus one counters when you yeah. cast creatures, right? When you cast um a white black. Every color except what it is. So it's green. Yeah. So if you cast a white, black, blue, or red spell, you put a plus one counter on it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's been reprinted. Yeah. So this is obviously, in the context of modern vintage, these are terrible cards. Yeah. But at the time, this deck was basically unbeatable because it played a bunch of free spells. So this is the reason that Gush... The card got oh. is still um, banned in vintage, is because at the time and this in was it's yep, a good card. <laughs> banned in pauper too, banned in pauper later, obviously. Yeah. But um, there was a few other effects that basically you were getting free spells that were growing these creatures, and you would mm. just swing for lethal so quickly and with cards in hand. It was just like basically unbeatable. Um, and and it's the reason, actually, this specific deck is the reason that Gush got banned in Vintage was because of this deck. Like, immediately after whichever that tournament was, immediately after that, it got banned because they were like, well, it's too good. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Grow a Tog is a busted archetype that <laughs> everyone has heard of. <laughs> we all know Grow a Tog. He I've, lives down the street. I've, I've got three commander decks based around <laughs> Grow a Tog. Well... The, the, the long and the short of it is that magic players love a good problem, right? Mm. We, love, we love a problem, but you know what we love even more than a problem? We love the solution to the we, problem. We love figuring out the solution and having that aha! Exactly. So, what's the deal with these free spells? How do you stop a deck that has free spells? You make them cost more. At the time... Um, Thorn of Amethyst was a card that was legal in Vintage. I think it still yeah. is. Um, basically makes non-creature spells cost one more. So, Gush... Still played in lots of formats. Yeah, today. but now your Gush costs one mana instead of free. And when you stack that up over several uh, spells, it funny. becomes a real issue. So, this deck, though, at the time that contained um, Thorn of Amethyst, it also contained Smokestacks, was enormously expensive because you had to play a playset of Mishra's Workshop, which is on the reserve list, which means it's never going to be printed again. Yeah. They're like, at the time they were a lot cheaper, but it was still like four copies of this was sitting you back like a thousand dollars. There were several um, power nine cards you had to play in this deck. So 2002, you had a choice. You could either buy a house or buy this deck. (laughs) (laughs) For the same amount of money too, for $4,000. Well, I didn't expect to get so political in this episode. You're welcome. We've started started on a good spot. So basically this deck was called the $4,000 solution. And oh, when you stylize this, cool name. when you stylize this, you go dollar sign, the 4K solution. Four being the- oh, stacks. It stacks. It stacks. 
That's the origin of stacks as a name. Probably. It could be the card smoke stacks, but most likely it's because of that's, the 4K solution. That's wacky. Yeah, so like the four looks like the, the A. The four looks like an A. Like you would on a number plate. Yeah, exactly right. I would love to see a commander player that loves stacks get a personalized number plate. That's dollar T four K S. Yeah, that's I never knew that. Right, that's such a cool story. I was doing some digging and I was like, how did not people not know about this? Like, what a fantastic origin! Like, normally, you know, the origin of the name of a deck just comes from a card. Yeah, right? it's just like we me- call it Storm because there's a deck that's called Storm. Or like even mechanics. Yeah. have like become things that have come from cards. Yeah, like- you'd like I have a Cascade deck because it has the mechanic yeah. Cascade on it. But yeah, this has like a legitimate historical story based on 2002. That's so cool because it's type I mean, one vintage. Yes, it did contain smokestacks. Maybe someone who named the deck. I mean, and put it into the well they wouldn't have put it online because everyone no they would have they would have put it on a piece of paper and put it up in their local game store <laughs> as a deck list in the newsletter yeah in the <laughs> newsletter that gets mailed to your house <laughs> physically by a postman Sheldon Menery drops it off <laughs> at your doorstep maybe they were just trying to be clever of combining smokestacks and the four thousand maybe, maybe that's weird I never knew that there though. you go right that's so, wild yeah so that's that's the origin of stacks so we can trace these cards that ha- are now known as stacks pieces back to that deck which contained a lot of them. So Smokestacks stacks was at that time. That was the one that made you sacrifice yeah. permanence. Um, we can point to Thorn of Amethyst, which makes your spells cost more. These are like still types of cards we see in stacks, but right? that was the first ever time it happened. I'd love to see a Rhystic Studies video on that. Story. Yeah, That'd I feel like cool. it's only a matter of yeah. time, right? Surely. Um, now, before we get right into our discussion of actually what we think of stacks and, mm-hmm. and, and what how we would want to play it. And that I've expressed thing. my opinion in a noise. <laughs> <laughs> That's all James has to say about it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, I do want to have a quick disclaimer here about specifically CDH, the, the most competitive part of our format um i think you can probably disregard pretty much everything we say from here onwards because we're going to most likely advise you to play you know less stacks or be careful about playing stacks because it mm-hmm. makes people upset you don't have to worry about that in in um cdh but well, you have a stacks deck for cdh yeah that's your, your deck people actually plan for it like you yep. expect to see a stacks deck in your pod when you play yep. cdh because especially when people are using fast mana they're using treasures they're using mm-hmm. rituals um they're casting many many spells in a single turn and instant speed win cons are like the, the way most decks win. Yeah. Stacks decks stop that from happening. Yeah, so they're actually better in CDH pods than they are in most hey, casual pods. settle down. <laughs> I thought you were about to say stacks decks are just better no. than uh, any other CDH deck. Wow. I wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of it. Big claims. At least not while you're here. Um, <laughs> Speaking of CDH, yes. I am, um, at the time of this recording, mm. tomorrow I'm about to compete in the Australian CDH tournament. Oh, uh, this of, is the, from um, the, Discord, the Dockside debacle. The Dockside right. debacle. And huge shout out to Migs and a bunch of the other people that have been developing this from yeah. the Australian CDH server. Um, I want to put it on record before I go that I'm really nervous and really <laughs> excited. So I'll see you there tomorrow, guys. Yeah. I know a lot of you guys listen, so yeah. I'm looking forward to it. And thanks so much for getting in touch with us. They actually messaged us on Twitter. So yeah, um, super yeah. Cool. if you have anything interesting that you'd like us to see, definitely follow us on Twitter at Get Commanded. And, um, and invite us to like your local game store. Yeah, and, or like, like webcam games you know anything that you you want us to get involved in we're we're very active we're we're not like you know massive internet celebrities we will reply if you add us like please probably become pals (laughs) at this at this early stage get in get in now exactly before we blow up and get you yeah yeah (laughs) well if we're moving away from cdh 
Um, how, I mean, I think we've sort of alluded to this already, but how, how do you feel like that general attitude is towards stacks in casual commander from what you've seen? Well, I think like, I mean, okay. I made a joke at the start of this episode after the transmission where I just groaned Mm -hmm. because that is the joke response that all command players will take when they hear, Oh, I'm playing stacks. And basically it's because stacks immediately evokes this image of I'm going to play magic and you're not. Yeah. Like it's that kind of thing. And then, and we're, especially when we're talking about casual, we're, we're doing it for fun. Mm. Like we are, we're the only reason we're playing commander is because we want to have a fun time. Yeah. And if I'm actually not untapping any of my permanents, mm. I'm not going to be able to do anything. Yeah. So I'm not going to have a fun time. So that's, I think the immediate image that's, postulated in my mind yeah no i think that's totally accurate i I think in general when players are told um here's your deck here's the things your deck does and then someone else's deck says hey your deck actually doesn't do that anymore it feels pretty bad right like your Mm. gut instinct is probably totally reasonable in saying like oh i sort of wanted to do the thing my deck does and i'm sort of being told i can't do that so that's totally reasonable um, I do think, I, I want to bring up, we mentioned it in our playgroups episode, um, the distinction that the rules committee make between games of commander, between untrusted and trusted games of commander. Yeah. So this is like the difference between trusted being like your playgroup who you play with every week, you know, people you play with in the kitchen table. If you go well, to the game store and play with the same three people, that's your trusted game. That's, a, that's your playgroup. Um, whereas an untrusted game would be like, you know, arriving at a random LGS or like playing in a Discord you've never played in before. Yeah. Um, and webcam games, that kind of thing. This is actually super crucial definition that the rules committee make. I actually just recently read a bunch of articles by Sheldon um, talking about how the rules committee go about bans and what you know influences them. And they put a lot of emphasis on that the bans are meant to be kind of an example, mm. um, and the trusted groups are meant to make their own decisions about what they can and can't play. Yeah. Um, that you know the rules committee is there to make a guide line for these trusted playgroups. So we know that Commander is a social format. Mm. So therefore it's kind of kind of implied that you have a social group to play Commander with. Yeah. You know, or re- or just a regular playgroup. So yeah, I think this is a good distinction to make. Mm. I I think as well what specifically in terms of in terms of playing stacks, um especially if you want to play stacks, a trusted playgroup is just going to inherently be a better place to do that. Yeah. Um, people are going to be more familiar with the way that you build decks. They're going to be more familiar with what you mean when you say, um, this is stacks, this is tuned, you know, those words that you might like to use. A trusted playgroup is going to understand what you mean by that a lot easier. Um, sitting down in a, in a random pod at a, ga- at a game store or, you know, during webcam games, even at a convention, it's much harder to condense all of that information down when you don't know people already. Yeah. You're sort of already trying to get all the stuff like, oh, this is my name and, you know, these are my pronouns and all that stuff you, you should yeah. be doing anyway. And then you're like, oh, and this is the deck and this is what I want to do. And, you know, things are going to get lost in translation there. For sure. And I think the only thing that I would kind of urge our audience to be careful of in this instance is, yes, a normal playgroup, a, a regular playgroup and a playgroup that is open and having this fun, you know, yes, we welcome anything. You got to be careful that if you welcome something in that you then don't go, okay, now I need to change all my decks to have counter magic for this. Yeah. Because then you create what we've referred to a lot when we talk to each other about it, like an arms race, like a, mm. this, this idea of like, oh my God, Walt's just bought a, a, a bigger gun than me. I need to go and buy a bazooka. Yeah. Like, you know, you end up in a, <laughs> I need 
more specific weaponry mm. to deal with what Walt's doing. I actually remember way back in the day, you used to run this dumb little creature um, in your Selesnia deck. Oh. When I was playing Niv Mizzet. Yeah, Dryad Militant. I think we mentioned this in the last episode as yeah. well. So it's like a Selesnia hybrid mana. It's a 2-1 that says if an instant or sorcery would be put into a graveyard, instead exile it. Mm. Um, and yeah, like it's it was such a silver bullet card for specifically your deck. But in terms of what my deck is trying to do, it's actually like not doing anything. The deck I was playing it in was a token deck. Like yeah. this, this is doing absolutely nothing for my deck. I'm not saying you should never play cards that yep. affect your opponent's board. We actually got a comment in our Discord that says Dryad Militant is a good card. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some people, <laughs> different strokes, different folks. But like, I think in general, we, we try to err you more towards board wipes and removal as your main yeah. ways of dealing with other players and, and try to be away, away from these silver bullet cards, especially when they are specifically for you know that deck like oh, oh when i play james i need this card that yeah. it's just going to result in this yeah arms race where everyone's trying to find the better silver bullet card and it's not going to be fun for anybody for sure and i think that you know when you are approaching you know that's that's our warning to trusted pods mm. when you're approaching untrusted pods really highlight that you are going to play stacks if you are going to yeah and if and if you're not sure whether your deck is stacks or not stick around we're gonna yeah. we're gonna highlight some things absolutely but we are. I, I think that you know untrusted pods are much more likely to get upset or angered or even like they might never want to play with you again if you mm. don't tell them that you're about to play Thorn of Amethyst. Yeah, well, this is kind of the origin of the the term um, pub stomper that we hear sometimes around LGSs and stuff, which is someone who, well, the image is someone who <laughs> cruises into a game store, intentionally pulls out the strongest deck they have and says, oh, it's a seven, you know, it's, it doesn't <laughs> doesn't do anything, it's super slow, it's battle cruisery, mm. and then they stomp you or whatever. That's, we obviously, you know, it's a stereotype, it's very rarely the case, but we want to avoid that type of game that can actually happen, where someone feels like, oh, I sat down expecting this kind of thing mm. and what I got was something completely different and um, that's what why we emphasize the rules of zero conversation so much is we want to have really good games of commander and that's yeah the point of this podcast yeah I think stacks is definitely something you want to bring up then well look we've had a good chat about stacks like you know in the format how people feel about it we haven't talked that much about it specifically like the cards like the yeah no the actual we stacks pieces we've mentioned smoke stacks and thought of amethyst yeah that was like the og but th like that was way back when there was only two formats of magic yeah it's exactly. been a couple of years since 2002 2002 i'd only just arrived in australia so <laughs> wow that yeah. puts it in perspective yeah yeah there's a lot more cards that do it and again we're talking about permanence that say you know, play players can't do this, players can't do that. So I want to play a little game, actually, James. Oh, sweet. Can we uh, put some, like, you know, like, game show music on? Sure. If if Walt can find some royalty-free game show music, <laughs> there'll be game show music play playing right now. If not... <laughs> Is it stacks? Let's find out with Walter. We'll be right back after a word from our messenger. Yeah. <laughs> Sponsors. Someday, maybe. <laughs> it's a Stacks show brought to you by me. Um, <laughs> let's start right off, actually, with a card that kind of, um, I think maybe the, the Space Commanders might have been inspired by this in sending us this command. It was spoiled recently. It's probably coming out soon by the time you all hear about this episode. Elish Norn, Mother of Machines. This right. is the new Elish Norn yeah. that's coming out in the set 
Phyrexia all is one, all will be one. I all forget. will be one. All will be one. Much more menacing. And did you say they were inspired by or terrified by? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think the space commanders will be able to attack Elish Nord in her final form. No, that's true. I wonder what power and toughness the space commanders have. Like 13, 13? Not quite em- Emrakul, but like 13, 13? Ludovic's test subject. Yeah. yeah 13, 13, 13 seems 13, appropriate. 13, yeah. yeah. I like that. Each of them are 13, 13. <laughs> Collectively 48. <laughs> yeah. Um... What do you reckon? Is is it stacks? So for for those who don't know, it's a it's a um, one of the new Praetors. Mm. It's four and a white, so it's a can only be played in decks that contain the color white in Commander. Um, can be your Commander because it's legendary. It's a legendary yeah. creature Praetor. It might have might be Phyrexian Praetor. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's a four seven with vigilance. It says if a permanent entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, it triggers twice instead. Sweet Pan Harmonicon with less restrictions. And it says, if a permanent entering the battlefield under an opponent's control would cause a triggered ability of a permanent they control to trigger, it doesn't. So, like, 15 other cards mashed into one and on top of Panharmonicon with less restrictions. Yeah. Oh, this card's busted. It's really, really good. There was a good bit of discord happening, uh, discourse, I should say, <laughs> on Twitter because um, Sheldon Mennery, as soon as it got spoiled, um, who is the um, a member of the rules committee... And the of, grandfather of Commander. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Like, the origins of Commander, he's involved in them, definitely. I said um, grandfather, godfather. Sorry. Godfather. I didn't mean to wish end, Sheldon. Sorry. No, I'm sure, I'm sure you'll understand. Um, he... Uh, posted a, he, he posts on Star City Games, their website, and he posted an article where he basically said, um, it got blown a bit out of proportion, but he said, this card resembles a lot of the things we look at when we think about banning a card. So he outlined some of the ways in which it does that. Yeah. So, you know, it's um, preventing your opponents from doing something that's probably really important to their deck. Um, it's wildly good in your deck and should be played in basically any deck that has an ETB theme in it if it's white and has etvs put it in yeah um yeah. like he outlined a bunch of his reasoning but i've read the article it's it's, yeah. it's a really good outline and i think so i've you know recently you know after delving into cdh and you know hearing conversations about dockside and dranith magistrate and yeah all these cards it does resemble something that should be banned mm. and in answer to the game show question it is. It is stacks. It is stopping right? your opponents doing something. And it's for on sure. a permanent as well. Yeah, hundred percent. And we um, literally just watched the most recent for us game nights mm. um, episode with um, the monocolored Phyrexian decks with yep. um, Jimmy, Josh, uh, Ashley, and Lady. Lady Danger. Yeah. Yep. Awesome game. Mm. But this card really did the game. Yeah. I'm not going to spoil what happens, but the 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 first effect of doubling things mm. just accelerated Josh the pilot yeah. way way ahead mm-hmm. of everybody and and was just able to do some really insane things. Definitely. The second effect, I was like, "Oh, I don't think it's actually going to be relevant in this deck. Looking mm. at all the commanders, yeah. I don't see it going to be a relevant thing. So maybe it won't be that staxy." It was relevant in some very crucial situations in the game. Several times. And to multiple different opponents. It wasn't mm. like, you know, Jimmy was doing something with ETBs. It was like everyone's deck contained an ETB. Yeah. And everyone got affected by it. I think the thing I realized watching the game, and we, we turned to each other afterwards and we were kind of like, we sort of see what Sheldon's talking about. Yeah, now. For we, sure. we, we had a conversation about that. But um, what the thing I realized is that what Sheldon was alluding to is like, you may not realize it, but almost every deck you play contains cement the battlefield effects on them. Yeah. Like, you don't realize it says permanent. It could be a land. It could be an artifact, creature, enchantment, 
anything yeah. entering the battlefield is just not going to happen. Well, something that we had a conversation about just like an hour ago was the fact that Vorinclex's rules texts mm. basically reads very similar to Elishnorn. Like, it does a thing with plus one counters and doubles it yeah. for you and makes it worse for your opponents. Mm. However... Some decks, even decks with plus one counters as their main focus, can kind of do stuff without plus one counters going on. Yeah, I've got a golem tribal deck, and like, yeah. if, if I can't put plus one counters on them, I can just make more golems. Like, that, I can totally shift you, my strategy towards that instead. Exactly. Instead of building up, you go wide, or maybe you look for different things, and also, like... Yeah, Vorinclex, it, it, it is accelerating super quickly, mm. sure, but it's like... The putting plus one counters on things, I don't think is as strong as after watching that game nights episode is as strong as doubling ETB triggers. Yeah. It's basically getting a whole nother spell for free is it's what it's doing. Crazy. And I, I highly recommend if you haven't seen it already, go yeah. and watch that video because I think it'll really contextualize what we're talking mm. about here. But I agree with you. I think it is a snacks piece. I think you have yeah. to say so. And I I think um, definitely Sheldon's justifications on that were, were pretty reasonable yeah. as well. I'm not, we're not saying that, yes, it should be bad. No, it shouldn't. Well, we're very happy to leave that to the experts of the rules committee. Totally. Are we actually, you know, both Walt and I, I think, but really do trust the rules committee in making the right decisions. Absolutely, we do. Yeah. Um, but big shout out to the game nights guys um, for representing that game mm. in a really, really good environment and really positive attitudes towards the effects yeah. and all that kind of stuff. I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. totally agree. Um, let's continue with our game show, mm -hmm. James, before we get too sidetracked. So is it stacks? Uh, another Phyrexian Praetor, mm -hmm. not a new one. Vorinclex Voice of Hunger. So this is the old Vorinclex cards. This is the green Praetor. Yeah. Uh, six green green, I believe. Yeah, that sounds right. Mm. Um, it is, again, a Phyrexian Praetor legendary creature. It says, um, if it, when, if you would tap a non-land permanent for mana, it produces twice that much instead, I believe, or that or it much might be plus lands, one. Specifically. Might be just lands. I think it's lands. And then the second line of text, like with Elish Norn, it does the opposite sort of thing. It says, um, if a permanent would become tapped that an opponent controls, I'm gonna stop the exact wording. I actually think it's just lands. I think it's if oh, if okay. an opponent would tap a land for mana, that or or even if they just tap a land, it doesn't untap in their next untap phase. Yes. And yes. that's it answers your question, is it stacks? Yes, it does. It says it doesn't do this. Yeah. It, like straight up at the start of the episode, you said, look out for words that say can't, doesn't. Mm. This says it doesn't untap. Yep. No, I totally agree with you. I totally agree it with you. It is stacks. It's lock slightly, it in, maybe a slightly more fair stacks piece given it costs eight, but it's still stacks, I yeah. would say. Definitely. It's also a creature, can be cheated out. Still a stacks piece. Yep. No, I agree with you. All right. Next one's one we've talked about before. We're, we're in the realm of white. Again, uh, enchantments mm. for one and a white rest in peace. I'm proud of you for getting through that without crying. Um, <laughs> Just this one time, James. I, I built myself up for it. That's why I was more, talking so slowly. Well, um, purely for the fact that it has stopped you from playing your Arami deck before. Yeah. I'm going to say, yeah, it is a stacks piece. Yeah. So for I'm those who don't know, it, it, it's uh, for one and a white. It's an enchantment that says when it enters the battlefield, exile all graveyards. If anything would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. Yeah. Uh, importantly, this replaces the death trigger that would normally happen. So mm. if something would trigger when it dies, it doesn't happen at all because it's exiled instead. Um, and yeah, literally nothing can hit the bin while this is on the battlefield because it's a replacement effect. It's not going into the graveyard and then being moved into exile. It's a replacement. It's instead going straight from the battlefield into the exile zone. It never hits the bin, never triggers your dies triggers. Um, I'm with you. I think it's yep. a stacks piece. Yeah. I also think it is fits in that category of silver bullet 
that we referred to yeah. earlier. It can yeah. really hose. It, it affects everyone. Mm. And like, you know, every, you know, most decks will interact with their graveyard in some way, whether it's a Spellslinger deck that's flashing it back or a reanimator deck or yeah. even just like a green deck that has some green recursion of creatures to mm. the top of library or to hand. Like, it affects everyone, but for you, for playing Arami, your entire deck is in your graveyard. Yeah. Like, that's that's how you play your game. So, mm. it, it is a silver bullet to some people. For yeah. Sure. No, totally agree. Um, next one is interesting. So, we talked about smokestacks, which we agree is definitely a stacks piece. So, this, mm-hmm. this in your upkeep forces you to sacrifice a creature for every soot counter on it, I think. It's really something like that. And then you put a, you put a soot counter on it, and then that effect happens. Something yeah, like that, something yeah. like that. Um. I'm interested to what you think for Fleshbag Marauder or Merciless Executioner. Do you reckon those are stacks pieces? Ooh, I play these cards. Mm, um, me too. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah. Because they force your opponent to do something that is stopping their game. It's, you know, you're not... It's not removal per se. It's like you're making your opponent do something in the same way that Smokestacks does it. It forces you to sacrifice. Yeah, it's doing the exact same thing as Smokestacks, but, like, mm. in the same way Vorinclex doesn't let you untap, this makes you, whether you like it or not, yeah. do the thing that it wants to do. That's interesting. I reckon I would... I reckon I'm a bit on the fence with this one, because mm. I think... I'm totally with you. It definitely is asking the player to do the same thing, but this is not a persistent effect. Usually, like, it might come back, and usually people will recur these creatures, but it's not sitting on the battlefield saying, you can't do this. I would draw a line between this and um, the card I used to play in my Mirren deck, Archfiend of Depravity, Mm. which says, at the beginning of each player's end step, if that player controls more than three creatures, they sacrifice until they have three, or something like Mm. that. That, I think, is definitely a stacks piece. The the old Shieldred? Yes. Yep. Same thing. Same thing at the beginning Definitely. of upkeep. Yeah, your opponent sacrifice a creature. Yeah. But at the I mean, beginning of your upkeep, you're animated. Basically, smokestacks, right? Yeah. Card. Yeah. Reverse totally. smokestacks for you. That's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. Yep. No, on yeah. the fence, but yeah, I think. I think it's kind of like, and especially decks that like are built around that. Like, mm. you know, if you're building well, you, a Marin deck around like yeah. looping Plague Crafter and. You're going to get it back. Yeah. It's going to keep hitting the, f- hitting the field again and again. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Um, the last one I wanted to ask you about mm. there's a few effects like this. Propaganda. So for two and a blue, this is an enchantment that says um, each. Oh. Creatures can't. A player can't attack you unless they pay two for each attacking creature. That's right? the, that's the yeah. wording. Yeah. So yeah. basically, if someone has 10 creatures they want to attack you, they have to pay 20 mana to attack you with those 10 creatures. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, do you think that's a stacks piece? I mean, yeah, based on the $4,000 solution, <laughs> um, Thought of Amethyst makes things cost more. Yeah. This is making attacking cost more, right? Yeah. Like, that's that's my justification. Yep. I think that's totally right. Yeah. The- I feel like I'm genuinely being quizzed now. <laughs> <laughs> the way I'm grilling you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, my, my semi-hot take here is that I think almost all of these cards are stacks pieces. I'm totally agreeing with you. But some of them are harder stacks pieces than other we sort of identified it as we were talking about it right some of these cards immediately you almost don't want to call them a stacks piece because it's like it almost cheapens the word stacks to use that yeah. as a thing so it's kind of this we end up in this tricky situation where it's like all of these things probably fit the bill as being stacks pieces but not all of them are at the same weight like for no. example like you know if you play propaganda against me and i'm playing a spell slinger deck that doesn't care about attacking you're not really stopping my game plan. No. So it's softer on me than it is another player. But yeah. if you're saying all spells cost more, find me a deck in Magic the Gathering that doesn't cast a spell. Well, I think you're exactly right. And the second half of this episode is basically going to be trying to work out 
how to justify how bad the stacks is and how playable it might be in a casual casual game. Right. Um, but before we get to that... Well, you said second half. So I did I'm say assuming, second half. We're halfway through. Are we taking a bit of a... Thrifty interlude. I just like the way you say that. <laughs> I can see interlude. you waiting for it. I was like, I did that kind of like wide-eyed, open mouth. You, you, you say it. Well, you say it. Thrifty interlude. Thrifty interlude. Well, uh, for this card, James. So for those who don't know, every episode I feature a uh, a card, and normally I'll do a zany monologue, sometimes an ad, uh, some kind of strange interpretation of the card itself. I actually would like to enlist you as my uh, my my sorcerer's apprentice. Oh. Uh, I'd like you to do do a dialogue with me oh. for this card. Uh, we have rehearsed it uh, extensively in advance, of course. So if James makes a mistake, um, he will be shot. Yes, um, I, I've been um, in rigorous acting classes with Walt. Um, and all his drama teachers, his dad, every, everyone that's ever taught Walt has been teaching me over the past month. Um, there's a lot riding on this. Yeah. Um, our whole careers, really. Yeah. hundred percent. Yep. Um, let's read the card. Just I let reckon. my partner go. And we'll <laughs> so do you want to read the card we're doing this week? Sure. It'd be my pleasure. Today's thrifty interlude card is Pramicon Sky Rampart. For blue, red, and a white, you get a one five legendary creature wall with flying and defender. As Pramicon Sky Rampart enters the battlefield, choose left or right. Each player may only attack the nearest opponent in the chosen direction, and Planeswalkers controlled by that opponent. Could you just look that way, please? Oh, is this my better side? Hmm? Oh, yes, uh, much better, yeah. Hmm, what, what, what's that rustling sound? Just keep looking that way, please. What, what, what are you up to? Almost done. Well, that doesn't answer my question at all. Say cheese! Is that a gun? Get budget in, 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 I featured it one! You featured it one! You're thrifty. Did I die? Um, it's not clear. To be answered when Pramicon gets reprinted. At a later date. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. Well, uh, if you want to see these bizarre text posts as I write them, um, they're released every Thursday on our Discord, which is linked in the show notes. And you can also see some of these um, performed as videos uh, on TikTok at G underscore Commander Community. So check us a follow on there to see them as they come out. Yeah, and as I've already mentioned this episode, um, if you really do want to get in touch with Walt and I, the Discord is the best place to do it. Yeah. Come and chat with us. Invite us to where you play. Obviously, we're based in Melbourne, Australia. Don't invite us to, like, you know... LA. Anywhere besides Melbourne, yeah. Australia, really. <laughs> we'll struggle to get there, but we're happy to make the drive. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> and we'll do. We'll definitely do. Uh, we'll do our best with the online stuff as well. Yeah. So if you have like webcam games or something, we'll, we'll we'll see how we go. We'll get there. Yeah. Well, let's get back to the stacks, shall back we? To the stacks. So we sort of established that we thought most of these effects that say can't, don't, won't do this mm-hmm. uh, are stacks pieces. So how on earth are we going to work out? how bad they are, how hard they are, whether they're soft stacks, hard stacks, that kind of thing. Um, I reckon I have sort of thought in the break, I did a bit of thinking, Mm -hmm. I reckon there's two main questions you can ask. And if you answer these correctly, I reckon you can work out just how strong or hard the stacks piece is. So the two questions that I have is, how crucial is the thing that the stacks piece is preventing? Mm. And can it be played around? Oh, yeah, that's 
that's a pretty reasonable thing to like determine if you can play around it. It's not as brutal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we sort of alluded to it already that like some of these things that we're saying can't and won't to mm. via our permanents that are stacks pieces are things that we don't need to do. You, you alluded to this with Vorinclex, right? Like yeah. we, don't, we don't need the plus one counters always all the time, or, but we do need to untap. Or with Ghostly Prison, we don't need to attack all the time. Yeah, we can wait. We yeah. can we can do something. And even with like the cards that say you must do something, when we had that like pe- uh, Fleshbag Marauder kind mm. of discussion, that's like, you know, not as soft, it's not as hard because it's basically just the same as saying I remove that creature. Yeah, you know? yeah, basically. So let's let's jump straight into some examples. I reckon. Sure. I reckon we can work out pretty much a bit of a spectrum of hard versus soft. Stack. Which end do you want to start on? Let's here? start on the worst side. Okay, so, these so we are... end up at the nice bit. Yeah, <laughs> I so, like that. Okay. So these are the cards. So again, we think all of these things we're outlining are likely to be stacks pieces, but we reckon that this is the hard end of the spectrum. So this is the stuff that if you're in casual. We would strongly recommend you don't play this. As we get towards the bottom of the list, we'll t- let you know when we get there. They're cards that you can play. I mean, you can always... Obviously, all these cards are legal, but we recommend for casual games you stick towards the bottom of the list. So, yeah. let's start with, in my opinion, the thing that can't be played around at all. Untapping permanence. Yeah, yikes. So, examples here. Stasis is the classic Stax card. Mm. Um, Winter Orb is the same. We talked about the um, older printing of Vorinclex, the eight mana thing. All of these cards say, in some fashion, you can't untap your lands, you can't untap your artifacts, whatever. Yeah. Um, how crucial is it oh, being able to untap? Incredibly. It's it's literally like untap, upkeep, draw. It's so crucial that Richard Garfield put it right at the start of your turn. <laughs> like, right at the beginning, there because be, that is how you play your turn. There should like, be no thoughts that I had before the untap step. Yep. You can't even interrupt someone's untap step, and this is yep. probably why, because it's not something that should be interacted with, it should just happen. Far out. Yeah, when you, like, really boil it down, you need to untap. It's very, very difficult. In terms of playing around it, like, yeah. you... If you built a CDH stack deck that could somehow do things with one mana, you know, like almost no mana at all, maybe you could play around it. In casual games, this is like almost impossible to I, play around these stack pieces. I'll tell you how you play around Winter Orb. Mm-hmm. You play Winter Orb in your Urza High Lord Artificer deck. Yeah, yeah. And you just tap it on your opponent's end step so you can untap everything. Yeah, That's disgusting. a weird old rule of magic. <laughs> Trust me, it works. That's it's, how it works. Uh, it's very, very strange. Yeah. Um, what do you reckon is, like, next on our spectrum of, like, if we're still in the hard end of the spectrum, what's the next, like, still hard, but well, okay. less so? Well, okay, on the same theme of, like, accessing your mana base, mm-hmm. I think using your lands, things that stop you doing that. So, like, right. I'm thinking the one that comes to mind for me real quick is mm-hmm. Blood Moon, because that is, like... Oh, yeah. I remember that was, like, one of the first things that got introduced to me as a stacks piece way mm. back in the day. And thankfully, I was still playing, like, basics. So, like, yeah. This was... one definitely scales, like, the, the, the more expensive your mana base yeah. is. Yeah. For so... reference, Blood Moon is non-basic lands are mountains. Yeah. Not not ha- tap for red. They are mount- basic mountains. They yes. they are nothing else. That activated ability on you had, gone. The fact that it's a two-color land, gone. It yep. now only taps for red. The only type it's got is mountain. And when I was introduced to this, I was playing a bunch of basics. So, yeah, I still had island, basic islands and mm. basic forests, whatever. But I then, I remember I got hit with this when I played my Atraxa four-color deck. Yeah. And I think I have about seven to ten basics in that deck. Mm, and we recommend playing about 35 lands. So that's like less than half of your lands are basic. For sure. And do you know what Atraxa doesn't have in her color identity? 
red. Yeah. <laughs> so Blood Moon, I very quickly learn, sucks against oh, Attractor players. In the same vein, um, Megas of the Moon, same thing. Yep. It's just going to hose those multicolored mana bases. Back to Basics is oh, back to um, basics, another... Totally an yep. example. Um, Infernal Darkness. There's a similar card called Contamination. These make all lands just produce black instead of yeah. whatever they would normally produce. Um, yeah, really, really miserable to play against. How crucial is it? We just alluded to it. You need your mana, right? Yeah. You can't play without your mana. You absolutely must have it. The, the premise of this game is that it's a resource management game. Yeah. And your main resource is your mana. Yeah, your mana if and you, your cards are the you, two things you need, right? Yeah, if you can't access it, it's really hard to play the game. Totally. Um, in terms of playing around it, again, in specific circumstances, you may be able to. If you're playing a mono colored deck you know you might have almost only basics that might be fine um but this is also going to hit the board really disproportionately where some players will be fine and others will really not um and that's going to feel bad similar to when we talked about rest in peace that's going to make one person feel really bad for sure yeah i think your only play around is the ways you'd build your deck and that ends up being an arms race and we don't want to do that yeah so. absolutely i think next on like the spectrum so we're moving still further towards soft but still on the hard end is casting spells for their usual cost. So this, I would put basically every tax effect in this camp. So um, Sphere of Resistance, Aura of Silence, um, Dovin Hand of Control even, mm. um, Trinisphere. Like all of these either make your spells cost more, or in the case of Trinisphere, does the strange thing of making everything cost three. <laughs> At least three. At least three. It can't be anything less than three. It's such a strange... Which, what- if you're playing Fast Manor as well, sucks big big somethings <laughs> <laughs> it's not ideal and um interacts really weirdly with other tax effects actually we won't go into that because those rules yeah. are really strange but um yeah these again they can i would say they're more able to be played around like if you have a high curve or you're not playing fast mana you're not playing one drops like you could play around a trinisphere you could yeah. play reasonably well around an aura of silence maybe see this is the kind of stacks effects that i typically run in my like liesa shroud of dusk deck yeah um i run the talias that make like non-creatures uh non-creatures oh, spells like cost one more guardian of thraben yeah, yeah. and I, I play a couple of these effects and i think that I differentiate it when I was having Rule Zero conversations. My Liesa deck has gotten a lot more stacksy, mm. but back, way back when it was much more of a life gain, life drain effect. Yep. I used to call it a death and taxes deck. Mm. And I think I used to stress the fact that it was a tax, not a stacks. Yeah. Which I think, pers- I mean, every playgroup's different with their terminology, mm. but for me, a tax is like, um, you know, a tax the government takes a little bit of that payment <laughs> takes it in. you just pretend to be the government for that game that kind of thing but yeah i think stacks is a little bit different and we've defined it pretty well but tax that's how i would define tax sure yeah definitely um i think in this case like casting spells are the usual cost i reckon it's still pretty crucial it's not as crucial as the ones we've just outlined mm. i think we agree on that um and yeah, it can be played around, but it's pretty difficult, right? Well, I mean, every deck has a mana curve for a reason, because yeah. that's the, the, the turn in which they wish to play certain spells, or their deck is sure. planning on playing certain spells. So you playing these kind of taxing effects slows everybody down. Yeah. So, But it's not like, you know, you're just slowing them down. You're not stopping them. Yes. You know, whereas untapping Which, my, or not untapping my lands is stopping me. Yeah, I think it's yeah. definitely, we've almost already reached a threshold here for these these stacks pieces versus the ones above. Do you think like, this is where, like, you know, we can start encouraging people to, like, maybe have a think about this in Casual Commander? I reckon... 
Around I reckon you here. can around here is the spot where I would start doing it. I I think it really depends on the specific piece. Um, Trinosphere, I would highly encourage you not to play in casual. It's pretty miserable. You don't really realize till you sit on the board, especially um, if you're playing against like you know. For there are quite a lot of decks that have a very low mana curve, and that's the point of their deck. And, mm. Yeah, but Thalia, Guardian of Thraven, yeah, it's not ideal, but like also you know. Creatures are a crucial part of any Magic the Gathering deck. So, mm. I in most instances, someone might be able to play around it by just choosing not to cast their non-creature spells. Yeah, I reckon around here is or where I would pro- start to play. The play around would be, like, prioritizing what you want to cast. Yeah. Like really choosing, you know, what you want to cast. Totally. Um, the next one I would I would put here, I reckon. This is sort of... A, I reckon we're having... We're st- around the middle, still on the high end of the mm-hmm. curve. I would put having cards in your hand as the next thing here. So these are stacks pieces that in some way prevent you from having cards in your hand. So cards like Necrogoyf, mm. cards like Necrogen Mist, Oppression, all of these basically are permanents that sit on the battlefield and in some fashion make you discard cards from your hand, often every upkeep or in the case of Oppression, whenever you cast a spell, God, miserable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's called Oppression for a reason. <laughs> yeah, maybe this is the origin of calling things oppressive in Magic the Gathering. Possibly. Um, this is definitely fairly crucial i think we can agree right yeah and I, and to answer the secondary question of how, like is can you play around it it, it is really hard to play around mm. the, the the thing that makes it really hard to play around is usually the way to get out of these stacks effects is uh, by answering them and to answer them you need to have the card in hand or to cast it but if you're discarding your hand you might not even end up drawing the card draw spell yeah. to refill your hand to find the answer destroy the thing totally it's, it's this kind of vicious cycle the longer it sticks around the, the less w- likely you are to get out of it and yeah. the worse it will become yeah. totally no i definitely agree with that um and I think, yeah, I think the only exception is if you're playing a very graveyard-oriented deck that can literally function without your hand at all. You may be able to find a way to play around it, but that's going to be rare. Like, most people are going to be like, okay, untap, upkeep, draw, discard, nothing else to do, pass turn. Like, it's, it's not going to be fun <laughs> yeah. for most people. Yeah. All right, well, I think there's one card that I've mentioned before, mm-hmm. and we've talked about it on this podcast a bunch of times, and I think it sits here. And it's Drenith Magistrate. And this card affects you accessing your commander. And yeah. I think that is the next level down the stack of uh, stacks. Yeah. I think this is around the middle. But yeah. that's not to say that it, uh, it, it's fine now. We're not we're not quite at that end of the curve yet. Mm. Um, Drenith Magistrate is pretty miserable. Like, there's a reason we build commander decks. There's a reason that there are calls to ban Drenith Magistrate. Yep. We like our commanders. We like having access to them. We like have, being able to cast them multiple times in a game. It's the whole point of our format. It's a big chunk of it. Yep. Um, I think it's, yeah, not ideal to, to not be able to have access to that. Um, another one I would throw in this camp is Arena of the Ancients. I only just saw this for the first time the other day. Um, it's an artifact that when it enters the battlefield, tap all legendary permanents. Mm. Legendary permanents don't untap during their controls on tap steps. Oh, interesting. So if you have a commander that might not necessarily need to tap or attack, you can just stop everyone that has a commander with a tap-activated ability or yeah. a Voltron attacking commander. Yeah, just anything yeah. that requires a turning it sideways is not going to work. But yeah, if you're playing a Moldrotha deck, um, whatever, you know, yep. y- your Moldrotha can be perfectly serviceable tapped. 
But um, yeah, I having played against this, this was pretty annoying. Admittedly, I was playing Kaza. Oh, um, yours has a tap ability. Yeah, then. literally yep. has a tap ability. Uh, that was not very fun to play against. Um, yeah, it's pretty crucial to have yep. your commander. It's not essential, but for most of our <laughs> decks, we're at least going to really want to have our commander there. I think, yeah, and, and especially I, I've given this advice to a lot of players that have asked for my advice on deck building before that... Your deck should be able to do something without your commander. It should. Unless it is a, like, Niv-Mizzet, CDH, Perun, Curiosity control list, mm. and it wins via the command zone combo. Yeah. Your deck should do stuff without the commander. Like, it should. Like, a Meren deck should be able to bring some creatures back from the bin anyway yeah. without Meren's ability. Have some into the battlefield effects yeah. and some dies effects. Kaza and... should be able to cast some spells and interact with the board. Yeah. And, you know, like all these decks should be able to do something without your commander. But yeah, I think I think for commander players, this stacks effect is pretty brutal because mm. we want to do it. Yeah. Like, so it, it can be played around, but it's not going to feel good to play around it, I think yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. All, all right, right. Well, what's the next level down then? I reckon we're now in the other end of the of the spectrum here i reckon having creatures is what i would call this area we sort of already alluded to this but smokestacks mm-hmm. um sort of prevents you from having a certain number of creatures yep. by making you sacrifice archfiend of depravity we outlined before i also would be interested to hear your thoughts on a few of these other cards that i sort of think of as in a similar fashion grave pact effects like dictator oh, Verabos, grave pact, butcher of malakir yep. these effects that say whenever a creature um, I control dies if I control the permanent if I control grave pact each opponent sacrifices a creature mm. these are pretty tough to play against especially if you are playing an aristocrat strategy or you are playing against the aristocrat strategy that is running this card yeah we just did a deck tech um, episode on aristocrats we did yeah. and I think we touched on butcher of Malakir. I don't think we dove too deep into it no. because I don't think we wanted to suggest that all aristocrats decks should include these <laughs> no. because these effects in an aristocrat strategy where you are sacrificing things over and over again mm. basically just mean your opponents have nothing. Yeah. And look, like there's something to be said for, you know, like an archfiend of depravity, like each opponent can't have more than 3 creatures. There's something to be said for like the way that that reigns in some of the things we don't like to see mm-hmm. in the format, but it is going to be very difficult to play around, and some people are going to find that really tough to get their head around. Yeah. Um, and I agree, Grave Pack, Dictator Veribos, these kinds of effects, similar sort of thing. Like On the wrong board state, when there's a free sack outlet there, you're kind of like, well, I could play creatures, but they're literally just going to die if I do so. Mm. What do I do? I can't really see a way out of this. You might not even be in colours to remove enchantments if you're trying to deal with a Grave Pact or Dictator Veribos. And like we've already discussed like effects like you know fleshbag marauder where a card says your opponents must do this thing and even though that thing that they're doing uh, you want to do possibly if you're in aristocrats you want to sacrifice stuff Mm. they don't want to so by forcing them to do the thing it's slowing their game plan it's Mm. stopping them from playing the game definitely so in terms of like crucial i think it's like it varies a lot it's usually pretty crucial to have some number of creatures but not always um and Playing around it is going to be doable. It's yes. not impossible. It's not necessarily easy. It can be in certain strategies, but it's definitely possible. And yeah, for sure, especially when you take into consideration, like, you know, okay, now that I, at the end of my turn I have to sacrifice three creatures, I need to find a way of giving things haste so I can get the most of, amount of value out of them before they go to the graveyard. Yeah. Or, you know, it forces you to think a little bit differently about how you play your deck. So yeah. it, it doesn't stop you from playing the game. 
but it definitely slows you down. Yeah, it redirects you a yeah. little bit, definitely. What, what else would you put around this sort of middle-of-the-pack spot? Well, I mean, okay, so every deck, I think, has creatures at some point, but then you get to a level where there are, like, particular mechanics that your deck wants to access, and there are right. definitely certain cards. I think these could be considered silver bullets, mm. um, but these are the cards that really stop a particular card from happening. So, like, right. the new Elish Norn, the new Varenklex that we just mentioned. Yeah. Um, there, are, there are a bunch of these. Mm. Um, like, you know, the, the one that... Um, there's an old uh, stops ETB from entering. Yeah, uh, happening. Um, Hushwing Griff. Hushwing Griff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Linvala Keeper of Silence is a similar yep. kind of thing. This stops, I think, activated abilities. Um, Malira Silvok Outcast stop, stops Infect specifically. Yeah, um, or, or counters being put on players. Yes, another one. it does too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, like Solemnity, players can't get counters. Yeah. That, that stops experience counters. It does. So Happy. it's strange, right? It's, it's kind of difficult to get our heads around how crucial these are because it really depends on the deck, right? Like if you're playing a Flicker deck, and someone's got a Hushwing Griff on the board, yeah, that is pretty crucial to you. It's not essential, mm. but it's pretty important to your strategy and it's going to be hard to play around. But if you don't have any ETBs at all, like if you're just playing a Spellslinger deck, um, that might not matter to you at all. So no. it's like, I think it's hard to gauge exactly how crucial these are. I think I would use the term silver bullet cards here, which yeah. is to say that they are going to hose particular strategies and leave others alone. And but it's just a, it's a, a bit of a weird kind of spot we end up in as a game when this is what's happening. But there are some cards that are, like, worse than others in this case. Like, we, yeah. we just talked about the fact that the new Elish Norn mm. just is a worse... I'm going to stop this mechanic because it's surprising how much... how many decks use that mechanic and how yeah. much they use well, it. Well, in a funny sort of a way, I almost wonder if the this ETD whole thing. category can kind of move along the spectrum depending on what mechanic is being turned off. Mm, possibly. So, yeah, like, I, I think turning ETBs off is pretty bad. Like, it's pretty tough to play around that. I think it's been surprising everyone how many decks... Because, like, you built an ETB flicker deck, mm. but, like, I've looked at my decks and, yeah, I have a lot of things that say when this enters the battlefield, do this. Yeah, have a flick through some of your commander lists. You'll yeah. be shocked at how many of your cards have some kind of enter yeah. the battlefield effect but plus one counters for example yeah like, like we talked about with the new Voron clips yeah, like you have that to be, be building around you can yeah. play around that as well yeah, yeah totally you can yeah. um so yeah i think you can play around it and i think it's reasonably crucial but it depends on what's actually happening mm -hmm. um and i do think there is something to be said though before we move on from this for the fact that yeah some players will actually almost feel more upset by the fact that this only affects them. Like, you know, yeah. if I'm playing my Arami deck and someone resolves a rest in peace, it actually feels worse that I'm the only player who doesn't get to play the game yeah. because I can see the game unfolding around me. I'm still an active participant in it, but I feel like a spectator in a game that I'm actually a part of. And this is what results in those arms races yeah. that we were talking about before. Because, like, then you start including things that search players' library for a card and you remove it from the game. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting area. But you, you mentioned Grave um, Rest in Peace. Mm. And I genuinely think that might be the next level, which is interacting with your graveyards. Yeah. And, and stacks effects that stop it. I think there's a bit of a... Um, I'm going to call it a spectrum. You called it a spectrum earlier. Yeah. There's, a, there's an in, interspectrum thing here. And I think at the very top end are cards like Douthy Void uh, Walker or Rest in Peace. Right. So those effects just... that just say no, graveyards don't exist. Yeah, they like, go straight into exile. Absolutely don't exist. Dice triggers don't even happen. Yeah, I agree with you. And then there's sort of like a, 
a middle tier of stuff that kind of stops you using the graveyard, but is not so oppressive. Like it's not exiling it, like like Kunoros. Oh, the Hound. I play that in my Liesa deck. Yeah, I yeah. play it in my um my Sisse uh, yep. sort of stack, slightly staxy deck. Um, Ashes of the Abhorrent has kind of been called the Fair Rest in Peace before. This is the <laughs> one that says um whenever a creature dies, you gain a life. Um yep. and Creatures in uh, something like I creatures, think creatures in graveyards can't enter the battlefield from a graveyard. Yeah, and like creatures in in graveyards can't be the target of spells or abilities. Or yeah, something. Like so it, you can't return it to hand. No, um, yeah. but, but it's not exiling it. It's not saying to the graveyard player, "Hey, all your toys are gone and broken." <laughs> <laughs> I, I smashed them with a hammer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think this is a, very similar to the last category, where yeah, how crucial it is does vary depending yeah. on the deck that you're playing. Um, and yeah, whether it can be played around also varies a lot. And again, this can result in some players feeling really salty and, and others feeling fine. And that, that can actually make that salty player feel more salty. For sure. Um, I reckon, what do you reckon's next sort of in this sort of zone of, we're sort of moving towards fine, but still not quite out of tricky zone. All right. Well, if, if we're not quite out of like the, this is totally fine at any table kind of thing, mm-hmm. I think something that affects all players, yep. unless you're playing a one big spell a turn deck mm-hmm. is casting multiple spells on your turn. Yeah. There are, there are a lot of cars out there like rule of law, Eidolon of rhetoric, deafening silence, uh, Archon of Ameria, like that's off the top of my head. Yeah. But like, there are a lot of cards that basically say each player and only cast one spell a turn. Yeah, in the case of Deafening Silence, it's one non-creature spell. But otherwise, yeah, yeah it's literally just constraining your spell count down to one. Um, yeah, these are like these do vary a lot depending on like what kind of a deck you are playing. Obviously, if you're playing Spell Slinger, you're going to be pretty upset to see yeah. this. Storm, Storm, you're gonna be also going to yep. feel pretty bad. Um, so yeah, how crucial it is. I actually think this is slightly higher than some of the ones we might have talked about, which is to say that I think most decks actually want... They don't need to, but they want to cast yeah. multiple spells in a turn. Like, if given the option, we almost always want. Yeah, exactly. And, like, this is the thing of, like, you know, the value you'll get out of casting three three drops compared to one six drop. Yeah. You know, on your turn. Or one six drop and one three drop. Like, however much money you have. Like, mm. however the combo lines up, it's... What is going to be the most amount of value on your board? How are they synergizing with each other? Yeah. So they're all going to come into that when you'd make that decision of what you cast on your turn. Mm. But when someone just says, all right, rule of law, everyone can only get one spell a turn. Then you're like, okay, what single card in my hand is the one that I want this turn? Yeah. And like, that's the play around, isn't it? Is prioritizing what spell you're going to cast that turn. Yeah. And and these can be played around reasonably successfully. So I think, yeah, there will definitely be people who will sit down with cards like these and feel a bit salty about it. Um, Certainly if they weren't warned before the game that Mm. there were some of these pieces in there. But it can be played around by almost everyone. So I think usually you're okay seeing these, at least. I usually am too. I think the other reason why I'm okay seeing this is because, as you know, I'm a player that loves to do stuff on other people's turn. Mm. These effects are great for those players because you can actually get a lot of value out of this kind of situation. If you're playing a lot of flash and uh, instant speed stuff... You can actually do stuff on everyone else's turn, meaning you're doing more than one thing a rotation, mm. whereas everyone else is only doing one thing a rotation. That's true. I didn't think of that, but that's totally a way that can you can play around it. And there's a good chunk of decks that want to do that, mm. definitely. 
Um, I reckon, so we're moving very much towards the, the low end of the curve now. The next one I would I would mention is using artifacts. Oh, like Collector Roof. Yeah, Coll- kind of... Collector Roof's a good example. Um, Yashan. Oh, yeah, your CDH commander. Yep, the, yep, actually stops you being able to sacrifice it on land permanence. Dockside Extortionist becomes terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, this, how crucial is it to be able to use artifacts varies quite a lot. There are decks, I have decks that don't use any artifacts at all. Yep. I will say there's a rare. Um, I also have decks where, you know, I have 40 to 50 artifacts in them because they're yeah. an artifact deck. So, um, yeah, it depends on the stacks piece and it depends on how many artifacts I'm playing. But usually, usually you can play around this, right? Usually you can play around this, but I think like the impact on a table that one of these cards will have is going to hit a lot of players purely because artifacts are one of the strongest archetypes in in magic the gathering a lot of them are colorless they go in a lot of decks i think yeah just purely overseeing how all formats not just commander Mm. have embraced artifacts and especially treasures in recent years oh my lord i think that slowing down or stopping artifacts affects the table pretty broadly but again you've still got your lands Mm. you've still got you know, mana dorks. Yeah. You know, there's you've almost got things to do. Something to be said. We'll sort of touch on this later, but there's almost something to be said for a little bit of maybe these kind of effects of sometimes like the sorts of treasure cards they've printed you almost want to slow them down a little bit. It's so explosive that it's like, well, well like, I just mentioned Dockside. Oh my yeah. God, Dockside's bad. Like, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> when was have... the last time you've ever heard anyone say, oh no, Dockside's a terrible card? <laughs> it doesn't really happen, does <laughs> the it? The Yashan player, that's why. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> yeah. why. Your bloody Dockside sucks. <laughs> yeah. Silly little goblin. I think at the very, very lowest end of the curve, um, we've already talked about one of these cards, there's a sort of category I would call being able to attack or block. Yeah. Um, so propaganda is the one that comes to mind. Ghostly prison. Ghostly prison. Yeah. Um, sphere of safety works similarly. That's a super strong one in your CSA deck. Well, yeah. If you can pump out enchantments, that one's really good. Um, there's, there's similar sorts of cards like Pramicon, actually. Sky Rampart, I would say, sits in this thing because it'll stop some players from attacking some other players. Yeah, I'd love to hear a performance of that card. <laughs> <laughs> if only. Um, but there's also like sort of blind obedience and authority, the console effects that make creatures into tapped. So basically get rid of haste in yep. that situation. Negates the yeah. effect of haste, um, negates the ability to block with those creatures this turn cycle. Yep. These, I think, are much less crucial to be able to attack or block. Like you, you, sure. you will need it in certain instances, but you don't always need it all the time yeah. kind of thing. And I think that in every game, there is going to be someone that can eliminate a player without attacking them. Yes. So like... You know, at a table, okay, yeah, maybe your deck does swing. Maybe you're in a combat-based deck and someone Mm. drops a propaganda. You're like, oh, no, I can't eliminate them now. But, you know, Declan's over there being like, ah, it's all right, I'm playing Burn. Watch his life code all go down. Like, you know, that, like, if you're at a playgroup, that's when, uh, here's here's your play around, politic your way out of this situation. There you go, there's a way to play around it. How can we eliminate this player outside of combat? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think there's heaps of play arounds as well, and I think that also, like, unless your, you know, deck's win con is eliminating via combat, think about how your deck wins and whether or not this is really impacting your game plan. Mm. Um, there are a very common win con is going wide and swinging yeah. and using, like, overwhelming stampede, mm. but, you know, 
can you turn that ax uh, your go wide strategy into a Voltron strategy? Maybe you've got one of those creatures in your deck that says its power and toughness are equal to the number of creatures can you control. Give that thing unblockable and punch their face. Pay the two mana for propaganda and get through. Mm. Like there's, it makes you think differently about how your deck is going to win against that player. Totally. I think the other thing that we should touch on there is the fact that in our deck building template we talked about even if you are playing a go wide deck. You know, we recommend having like three to four, maybe even five win con cards in there. And we recommend at least one of those is not inherently going to combat going wide. So, yeah, yeah, whether it's pumping one thing, making it really huge. We've talked about cards that you can... Goblin bombardment. Goblin bombardment's (laughs) fantastic. Um, Chiron negotiations works similarly. Like, you know, you should have at least one way to get around a player like this because this type of stacks, and we do still call it stacks, stacks. is very soft and you see it all the time and you should have some plans for it, for sure. It's it's comparing the, um, you know, the Vorinclex Don't Untap Your Lands Mm. monster behemoth lion. (laughs) to a kitty cat yeah stacks like that's your that's your comparison it's really night and day but they are all kind of still stacks yeah yeah well look that's all very feels a little bit doom and gloom right to kind of go like all of these are stacks pieces and you know like the world is out to stop me yeah and people don't like stacks what am i gonna do but we sort of alluded to it already that there is something to be gained from playing a little bit of stacks there are things that we often don't like to see in commander games like how we don't like to see stacks that actually are controlled a bit by stacks pieces. Yeah. Um, we don't like to see excessive ramp from lands. A lot of people don't like landfall decks. They don't like decks that get a, a million mana by turn five. Confounding conundrum. Oh, that's the one from Zendikar Rising, right? Wherever yeah. a land enters the battlefield of what wasn't played it bounces to hand yeah hilarious so they still get their landfall triggers but they're not getting like eight nine mana by turn five kind of thing um yeah combos typically require a lot of um spells being cast or particular spells being cast in particular orders often on the same turn Mm -hmm. rule of law effects that only let you cast one spell a turn make combos much more difficult to get off they make them much easier to see coming much easier to plan for even at, like, you know, when we talk about, like, in our deck building templates, we said, like, tutors are something that make your deck higher powered immediately mm. when you put it in. Yeah. Cards like Opposition Agent and Ashiok just yeah. go, you know what? That mechanic now doesn't exist. And actually, you're going to benefit from it. Well, yeah. done, well done for playing me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even, like, Avid Mindsets is a similar yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And we said that we sort of generally don't love seeing lots of tutors in our game. So that is a way of controlling how often we see them. Yeah. Um, in a similar vein, we talked about Treasure, we talked about Doxide Extortioners, Collector Roof, Yashan, even recent cards like Sardi and Avenger. Um, it's an interesting one, actually. I think I've told you about this. It's a goblin for one and a red. Um, when it attacks, it's got a first strike and trample. When it attacks, it gets plus X plus O for each artifact um, <laughs> yeah, on card. the battlefield, I think, or something crazy. And whenever a, a player sacrifices an artifact... It deals one damage to them. So treasures this card. ping sick. you for one. It's a really good. It's a very recent printing. It was in Brothers War. It's, it's a, also red, right? It's one. It's of the, red. Yeah. yeah one the, and the, red. the fact that it's red is like red saying to what red does best. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> like it's kind of funny. It is funny, and yeah. but it, it's sort of. I think it's clear now that that there is actually a, an interest from Wizards of the Coast in printing cards that control some of the crazy things that are legal in Commander now. So Ooh. I actually have a bit of a question for you. Sure. Do you think the next shift in cards that we'll see in our format, because we've seen so many busted cards like our Doxite Extortionists, you know, fast, accelerating kind of cards. 
be printed recently. Mm-hmm. Do you think the next shift in Commander's sort of format and philosophy will be towards cards that limit the strength of those cards, like like soft stacks pieces and like the recent Elish Norn? Interesting question. And I think it's an interesting question because I think Commander inherently is controlled well, by the rules committee, but also the rules committee is a representation of the players. Mm. But the cards are printed by Wizards of the Coast. So the question is, do you think Wizards of the Coast is trying to steer Commander back away from the mistake they clearly made with these (laughs) Dockside Extortionist-like cards and now trying to go, okay, now we're trying to correct this. Mm. My question is a bit of a... I'm going to hit it back to you. Okay. Is, do you think it'll be an overcorrection... Oh. Do you think wizards are going to end up in a bit of a to and fro? Oh, we print Dockside Extortionist. Okay, we'll print Elish Norn so Dockside Extortionist doesn't work. Mm. Oh, Elish Norn's busted. Okay, we'll print a card that says destroy all Elish Norns. Like, <laughs> you know, do you think that it's going to just become an an arms race, but by Wizards of the Coast themselves printing these cards? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. I, I mean, my op- internal optimist says... God, I really hope not. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think that's not a good format that, that fluctuates back and forth across different strategies. Also, Commander's meant to be evergreen. We're meant to be able to build yeah. a deck and have that deck for years. And it still... doesn't, doesn't feel completely like yeah. that these days with, with how busted some cards are. I, I hope we end up at a spot where there are just more options. Just yeah. more options for approaching how we want to respond to our opponents, how we want to prevent our opponents, how we want to accelerate ourselves, yep. and that none of these cards become ubiquitous. I think that's the real problem is mm. when players feel as though there are cards they must play yep. and strategies they have to plan for. I think, I don't think that's good for the format. And and I think stacks actually is a way that, that we can explore a new way of playing. So look, given that it's all stacks, we've established yep. it's all stacks, if we do decide that we want to play it, how do we know which ones to play and, 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 and whether we should play it at all? I think it's worth considering definitely the, the spectrum we outlined. Yeah. That's we, definitely a big one. I think we did a pretty decent... You did... Yeah. Very good job there, Walt, on giving us a spectrum of stacks. Thank you. Hard to soft. The lion to kitty cat. I'm yeah. going to re- take that into command games <laughs> in the future. I hope so. I think as well, if we're going to be trying to up the power level of our deck, we can move up that spectrum too, right? Mm, like For sure. De- like we said, CDH... All these cards are totally expected and planned for. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if you really are just trying to get your deck, especially if the you feel the strategy is not quite cutting it, maybe stacks is the thing that makes it that next bit pa- more powerful so you can play it against your the people you play against in your playgroup who play combo decks and who play, you know, infinite you know turns and all these crazy things yeah. maybe stacks is what gets your deck there so yeah. you feel like you're competitive on that table stranglehold stops those extra turns so maybe it's like your way through it yeah and i know that like i'm interested to know your opinion because you we've referenced your um cis shrines deck mm. quite a bit at this table and uh in this podcast um and i have my liesa shroud of dust deck which to be honest has recently received these upgrades into harder stacks pieces mm-hmm. the, the bigger lions i guess yeah You've had your CSA deck for a while, but to be honest, I don't see you pilot it that much. Yeah, it's interesting. I I I like to be really honest with people when I pull it out. So yeah. I, I think I've said this before on the podcast. I will pull out every card in the deck that I think 
some people, yeah, yeah, some people may have some issue with, and that includes all of it. You know, that includes my sphere of safety propaganda style effects. Mm-hmm. It includes my deafening silence. It includes my Kinoros. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But even Pramacon, sometimes I, I pull it out and just be like, hey, just so you know, if you're playing combat, it might be tricky. Um, and look, a good chunk of the time I can see just from someone's expression on their face that it's not the game that they're after, and that's fine. But when I do get to pilot it, it's a blast. So yeah. I, I hope you the, the thing that you take away from this episode is, yes, Stacks is everywhere and a good chunk of it's unpopular and it's going to be hard to find the right pod for it. But when you do find the right pod for it, it's going to be really fun and some people are actually going to love the challenge that Stacks provides Ooh. and are going to enjoy the fact that you've introduced these new cogs that they have to sort of sort through and, and, and work out how they're going to get to their win and get to their their fun game of commander for sure i played against this just recently and i had a good time oh well, there you go well space commanders command, command received. received you saluted thank you for joining me that time <laughs> i did a one finger i'm, I'm working my and it way wasn't back. even at the head either it was like above your shoulder you're like command received. <laughs> I'm, I'm suave i'm cool yeah, i'm too cool to salute you <laughs> <laughs> well to all of you out there do you feel commanded what do you think of stacks are there any stacks pieces you're thinking about trying out now that we've talked about them um, and don't forget the best place to get in touch with us um we have a few contacts and stuff in our show notes but our discord is the best place yeah. to chat with us about um about stacks about anything you like really your decks your play group anything you feel like yeah um definitely join the discord and that's the best way to, sure. to chat about stacks and all all that stuff and really exciting um all of my decks are now in Moxfield, yes. updated, ready to go. So if you've been looking at Walt's decks and criticizing him on Discord, <laughs> you're now more than welcome to look at my decks and tell me why I'm a terrible deck builder. Yeah, in the um, show notes. Yeah, I I was actually um, really pleasantly surprised with some of the response that I got from our Discord community when I posted it. Some people were like, oh, I know you don't play Orzov that much, but I can really help you out with your card draw. You've only got five tagged pieces of card draw. What happened to 10 minimum i'm like great question um <laughs> help me out please so yeah i'm really looking forward to um leveling to up leveling up yeah, yeah. and How exciting also before we um planes walk outside the world of magic and mm-hmm. in this case out of our chains that are stacked <laughs> i'm gonna give a bit of shameless uh self-promotion i know we ask people to like subscribe to the podcast and do all that but i'm gonna ask our listeners to do something a little bit extra for us sure. in the next couple of episodes if you guys like the content we're producing and want to hear more from us um we've got some great people saying that it's great to hear australian content being made yeah um it we've had some really lovely comments about how um inclusive our language is and Mm. you know all this kind of stuff if if you want to support our content and want to see more content from us maybe want to see us on video or maybe want to see us doing some exciting things one of the ways you can help without um, doing much at all is simply liking the podcast on all the social media platforms and also leaving a review for us and rating our podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcast. For some reason, Google Podcasts it doesn't have that feature. No, very Randomly. strange. Don't know why. But if you listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, which we know most of you listen on anyway, um, please leave a review. Give yep. us that five star rating. Um, this really helps us uh, be recommended to people via like recommendation engines online and stuff like that. So, yeah. And our growth will definitely result in more exciting stuff that you can expect from us. For so sure. like, it's the best way to show that you really love what we do. And, and if you love what we do, 
we'll we'll do more of it. So and I'm really not going to appreciate lie. it. I love what we do. Yeah, I enjoy this absolutely. This is great. I get to talk with my best bud about magic, my I know. favorite game, every week. It's and great. thank you so much for joining us every time that we do it. And yeah, if if you take can take it'll take five minutes, less than five minutes. Not even. Leave us a review. Um, if you do listen on Google Podcast and you can't listen, leave us a review, just uh, tell your friends about us. Yeah. Just yeah, please. Recommend us out there somewhere. Share our link on all your Discord servers. Spam us everywhere. Actually, don't do that. <laughs> don't don't um, spam. <laughs> tell us tell that we exist to people that you think will, will like our stuff. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Well, it is customary at the end of the episode, James, mm-hmm. to planeswalk out of here, out of the world of magic, into right. something else. What do you want to planeswalk to this week? It's your turn. Well, we're going to planeswalk to a video game world, which uh, is a place where books can talk, um, love is dying, and you have to work with a friend or partner to rebuild your marriage. This sounds familiar. Have you ever played It Takes Two? No, but I've always wanted to. Man, uh, me and my partner Theo have Mm -hmm. played this game um, like pretty much every night for the past week surprising amount of content in this game. I've heard really good things it, about it. It has a lot of stuff in it, and there's so many things that, you know, it's it's not open world, it's like level-based, like you go through a level, but the level is so expansive and there's, you know, sidetracks, you can get distracted down, there's little Easter eggs, there's little mini-games and all this kind of stuff. Wow. It is awesome, but the premise of the game is exactly what I just kind of alluded to. You're in a failing marriage, um, and your daughter wishes for you to get become friends again. And she wishes uh, uh, over these two little dolls that she'd made of her parents, that were right. going to represent her parents. Yeah. And she cried into a book um, that was written by Dr. Hakim, uh, okay. made a character, he's a love expert. Sure. Um, anyway, the tears of your daughter in your failing marriage... Uh, transport your souls into the two little dolls. Oh, um, wow. And you then become these two little dolls, and that's how you play the game. You play as these two little dolls. Right. And basically, you have to... It's like a teamwork game. It's like all other, like, co-op games that you've ever played. But this one is... the. Firstly, the animation is gorgeous. Um, my character is, like, a clay dude. Right. Um, and my partner's character, Theo, is, like, this, like, wooden doll thing. It's okay. really cool. Um, but each level you get like different abilities. Like the very first level, you're in like the workshop shed where the daughter's built these little dolls Mm -hmm. and you have to get out. So you have to use things like table saws to like whiz across and all this kind of stuff. You have to use hammers and nails to like open certain boxes. I think I've seen this level before. It's really fun. It looks like a really detailed world and like lots of, lots to do, lots to interact with and like problem solving as well. It is. And honestly, like the boss battles as well are like really well balanced. We've only lost my partner and I played a lot of video games but like we've only lost to the boss battles maybe like two or three times right so they're they're challenging and like yeah. we're on rare edge of our seat we're going get it get it get it get it get it but then they're they're achievable enough that you don't get like stuck or distracted or frustrated with one another right it's like the perfectly balanced you have to work together game. it takes two it takes two <laughs> But yeah, so so me and my partner Theo have been um, exploring some other multiplayer games to play. There's a great game by the same developers. There's actually an Easter egg in It Takes Two of this game. It's called A Way Out. And it was like their first game. And you play two prisoners 
uh, Escaping from Prison. I've seen this one. I've definitely yeah. seen that one played before. Yeah, it, that one looked like a lot of fun too. We've just downloaded it on the Xbox, so we're really excited to play. Uh, but, I love doing multiplayer gaming. I, I play yeah. a lot with my partner as well. I've played a lot of the Le- Lego games, yeah. like Lego Star Wars. and um, I love Overcooked was one we played a lot in lockdown. Yeah, that one's particularly good with like four people. Yeah, that one's that gets hectic, hectic and lots of fun. Yeah, yeah I, I, I also, we've been playing the, the new Lego Star Wars, which has been really, really fun. Oh, yeah, I, I played a, a bit of that. I should... Join, uh, jump back into it because it's like a Lego game but it's like the mechanics are remastered it's like a third person shooter almost it's like it's- a massive open world yeah. there are so many planets and each planet is like a huge amount of content to engage with and like problems to solve like it's a lot and it's the whole saga right it's like all yeah. from episodes one through the nine skywalker saga yeah. one to nine yeah really cool really 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 awesome well i have been loving multiplayer games and i'm going to be playing a lot more of them so that's Sounds my plan well. love it well thanks so much for joining us and uh we'll catch you all really soon see you in the next episode guys bye bye